0: It's a great episode where Cyclops rescues Corsair out of the crashed starjammer brings him on the land, and as he's giving Corsair CPR, he sees the the locket around Corsair's neck, and and, and it's pulled and he pulls it off, and he's looking at it, and he's like, "What's what's this locket?" And Corsair pops up and says, "You know the 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 sheriff, they're, they're they're after me, you know they accused me of a crime I didn't commit, you know X Men you have to protect me." Cyclops like, "We want we want no part of your criminal activities, Mister." And Corsair's like, "Well then if you're not going to help me." Let me be on my way, but at least give me back that, you know, necklace. It's the last thing I have of my family. And Cyclops pops it open and looks at it and says, wait a minute. It's a picture of my mother And inside of it. He's like, it's a picture of my mother and me and my brother. How'd you get this, mister? It's
1: like, man, Cyclops. This is Multiversal Q. Your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I'm Luke. This week on Multiversal Q, we have Chris Sims and Chad Bowers from the upcoming Marvel Infinite comic, X-Men 92. How are you guys doing?
2: I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm doing
1: good. Thank you for having us. So, uh, thank you for joining me in the beautiful outdoor aviatorium. (laughs) Which is why we can hear these wonderful birds every now and then. You have it's a lovely time.
2: You... <laughs> it's uh the sun is shining. It's a time it's a time of rebirth and renewal.
0: <laughs> you have a lovely place here, Luke.
1: Thank you. Devin was carried off by the birds, which is why he is not here this week. But uh, luckily I get to spend it with you two guys as we talk about X-Men 92. X-Men 92 is definitely interesting because it's one of the only uh, Secret Wars titles that's coming out that is actually an infinite comic, is that correct?
2: I think it might be the only one. That's yeah, comic. as far
0: as I know, it's the only one, which which really makes us feel included. <laughs> we should we should point out that it's also going to be a print comic as well. About a month after it hits digital, it comes out in print as well.
2: Yeah, and the print comics. Uh, I I know that a lot of people have seen that they're four ninety nine, but the print comics. <laughs> someone is hunting those birds. I think uh, the print version of the comic. No one wants the truth to get out of the, the print version. Uh, the print version of the comic is 40 pages long. It collects uh, two of the uh, Infinite releases.
1: Does that also come with a digital code for the 4.99 version? Uh, no, that I do not know. And now both of you guys have really gotten your start doing web comics. So, how different was it for you to do an Infinite comic like this? Because I know you guys have collaborated on books like Awesome Hospital and other titles that I can't think of right now?
2: Well, Chad uh, Chad wrote a webcomic called Monster Plus, and uh, a lot of our stuff has been either available you know, digitally first. Onset Fight was released uh, digitally uh, weekly in the run-up to its release as a, a printed graphic novel, and I've done a couple of comics that have been direct to uh, sort of digital release, uh, Dracula the Unconquered, and uh, Skater X. But this has definitely been a, a very different experience for us. The Infinite comics are always really interesting. Uh, I like them a lot. I loved uh, Daredevil Road Warrior. I was a huge fan of that one. Uh, Deadpool the Gauntlet, obviously, was a, a fun one. And
0: Tim Seeley did that. Uh, Tim Seeley did a really good Guardians of the Galaxy one, too.
2: Yes, he did. But the interesting thing about them is that all the sort of digital trickery, like all the scene transition stuff, the overlays, the way uh, all that changes, at least in our case, all of that stuff was handled by Scott Koblish, who's the artist on the book. So this was our first time really ever writing uh, Marvel style, which, you know, plot first and then going back in and doing dialogue. Yeah, it was a really unique experience for us because we had never done that before. And Scott, all the, the page breakdowns, all the, the layouts, that's pretty much all Scott Koblish, And it's really, really great. I don't think
0: we could say enough about Scott's work on this book. I could, yeah, because uh, we have we have thrown the weirdest things we can at him. Well, oh. and, and it's funny because we're not, you know, you mentioned earlier that we're doing it Marvel style. And, and while we're doing it, like, I think what most folks would, I, I think it's better to say, and I'm not, like, trying to contradict that. But I think it's better to say that we're doing, we're not doing it full script. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we're, because there's a lot of dialogue in those scripts. It's just that that's not necessarily what we end up using. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mainly we go in and we have, we
2: break it down by scenes, uh, and there's about, what, 10 to 15 scenes in each issue? Yeah, that's about right. Which, let me tell you, when you have to go in and dialogue all that, it sure feels like a lot of comic. Right. Uh, and we will, you know, break down what's happening in the scene, uh, we'll have bits and pieces of dialogue, we'll, we'll write out, you know, depending on the scene, we can write out quite a bit of dialogue for each scene. I think, uh, we have an issue coming up that we actually just finished doing the script on, uh... Where there was a scene with Storm, there was a, a big scene that focused on Storm, and I think we wrote more dialogue for that than anything that we had done up to that point, uh, and then used almost none of it in the final product, which I'm sure was frustrating for Scott because that's the words that he's drawing this character saying. You know, when you see that art, you you get the opportunity to change things a little bit, and that's that's really fun. Uh, so yeah, very very unique experience, but it's. You know, it is a style of comic that uh, I think Chad and I are both big fans of. I love basically the uh, the Batman 66 book a lot. I love a lot of the Marvel Infinite stuff. Like I said, Daredevil Road Warrior has one of the most amazing scenes. And it's a scene that only works in digital comics. So hopefully ours is going to have a lot of really cool stuff like that. And if it does, that's pretty much Scott Cobblish is doing.
1: Yeah, he is one of those great sort of lesser known artists out there because i mean i started noticing his work on marvel adventures oh like, yeah he did such solid work on those issues
0: what's really funny chris and i think over the last couple of months have really been you know i mean obviously we've been really immersed in like what he's doing but it's funny we were looking at what what's that is it this is it sirens i think it's the idw book sirens where the george perez book uh and i think scott's his anchor on like number three or at least some pages in number three a couple of sequences and that's when it kind of clicked with me and Chris. We were like, "Oh yeah, like like Scott Koblish is from that school. So drawing tons of characters on the page is not that big of a deal for him."
1: Yeah, like he had done a uh, Deadpool's Book of War where it was pretty much army after army of Norse monsters and Ar-
0: Art of War, yeah.
1: Yeah, that.
0: And you know, you know, he did that uh, Deadpool uh, wedding cover, which I think had more characters on the cover, then it, like, it broke the record, right? Of, like, most yeah, like a record right?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And there will be scenes, like we've written scenes in this book, uh, there's one coming up in uh, the second digital chapter, where we asked him to draw like a big crowd scene, and we mentioned like, you know, and for us, you know, big crowd scene, like seven or eight people plus the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And he drew about 15 more than we asked for. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of people that is a lot of people, and it's, like, it's, you know, no problem.
0: No problem for him at all. I think it's very clear that he's having, like, a blast drawing this. Not only does he, nobody tells us all the time. Like, not only does he tell us that he's having a good time drawing it, I think it's very clear in the pages, especially, like, once you get, once we get past those first episodes or chapters, it really, really, like, sinks in that he's having, like, I think he's having a great time.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, we get, we get a lot weirder. In number three, than we than we get in number one and two. Uh, so I think that's you know, three and four are the ones that we've we've seen him like really cut loose on. Uh, the opening to number four is, it's got some of my favorite stuff that that he's drawn. Yes, yeah, he's really great. He's really great, and and also fast. Like, shockingly fast for his detailed and... For having to basically figure out how to lay all this stuff out on the page as he's going, based on us writing, you know, sometimes, you know, just a couple hundred words of of description of an entire scene. Like, for him to be able to break it down like that and have it look as great as it does, um, he's amazingly fast. And getting that, you know, getting all that art all the time like we've been doing... You know, I, I I've I've told Chad like that, you know, when you when you write comics, there's nothing better than getting the art and seeing the art for the first time. And like that feeling never gets old. Like Scott and Scott
0: is delivering on that feeling every, pretty much every day. Like every day. We get like two or three two or three well, I guess because of the nature of the, the, the Infinite Comics uh, setup, it feels a little different. So we'll get like essentially we'll get like a page or two. But it- down and scene by scene by scene. It's really neat watching him build those pages.
1: Where did you head back to to sort of get into the feeling of X-Men ninety two?
0: Well I went back and read everything. (laughs)
1: Like
0: all (laughs) all the X-Men. Yeah, but you were doing that anyway. Yeah, I was. No, I mean we did we did all the stuff that I think you would expect us to do on a project like this. You know, I mean, you know, Chris and I have been reading comics. I've been reading comics since I was like eight years old. Chris obviously around the same time so it, it, it's it's a lot of the stuff about the X-Men is certainly already there, but, you know, the 90s are a very specific time for the X-Men. Um, we've talked before on, on, on interviews and stuff about how, you know, the X-Men are huge for that, that brief period of time for, like, you know, when, when X-Men number one comes out in 91, and then, of course, the animated series hits in 92, and then... Just for the like, the next four or five years, really, I'd say up to the point where probably Joe Mad leaves the book. Right, the X Men are the biggest thing in comics. They're they're just it's it's enormous. You know, it's not just the comics. It's comics. It's the animated series. It's the at the time you know the the rumor of the movie. It's uh, video games. It's trading cards. It's toys. It's all that stuff. So. You know, to, to kind of go back and try to immerse yourself in all of that—that's a pretty big job from the from from the get go. But you know, thank God we were there at the time too. And we were, I, I was 12, 13, 14 years old when all that was going on, so I certainly remember a lot of that. Going back and reading those comics is is probably the thing that I that I probably threw myself in the most. And then, you know, in doing that, sort of was talking started talking to Chris about them on a regular basis. And then I think Chris started reading a whole other set of comics from that time period as well. So, I think between the two of us. We may have read every X Men comic from like nineteen ninety 1990, to nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, like if you don't think I have a stack
2: of comics with the words "Executioner Song" on the cover right <laughs> next to me right now,
0: then you need to revise that thinking. And, and let me say this: I don't want to like give this as a plug, but I, 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 uh, around the time that we started, you know, working on this, I subscribed to the Marvel Unlimited app. And, oh, my God, I think I've driven Chris crazy talking about the thing because <laughs> I, I love that Marvel Unlimited app because it's got everything right there. And so I've, I have definitely gotten my money's worth on that Marvel Unlimited app because, you know, I, I recently uh, had a kid and we turned my what was my office into a uh, in, into a baby's room. So all my stuff is in storage. And around the time that we got this gig, it was like, oh God, I got to go dig all that out of storage or I got to go pull those essentials or I got to do this or I got to do that. But – that, I will say, that thing saved my life. I've been
2: reading so much stuff. That has not stopped you from walking around with an Executioner's Song paperback in your and bag. And don't forget that Cable New Mutants trade either. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, one of the key things about 92, and I think this is certainly the case for us, and, and you know, probably is going to be the case for a lot of readers who are interested in it just based on that title and what they've seen so far, is that I was obsessed with the X Men when I was. 13 in 1995, you know, I watched the cartoon and I, you know, I am, I just recently got through writing uh, an episode guide for every episode of the cartoon, which, which took me quite a while. And, you know, I, those comics always seemed so weird to me. Like, like they were weird and daunting. Like I wanted to read, like I, I so wanted more stories about Wolverine, but it's like, wait, he's wearing an eye patch in this book. And then I would pick one up and he'd have a bandana on and no nose. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that... uh, and it would be this thing where it's like, yeah, I was like, but it was very easy for me to kind of slip back into that mindset. I mean, like, look, if anyone is familiar with me, they know that, you know, nostalgia for comics I loved when I was a kid is a pretty driving force in my life. What? But yeah, like it was, it was very easy to slip back into that and very easy to think about like, how excited I was to play the video game! How excited I was to when, when I got to read one of those comics! How confusing they all were! Trying to figure out why uh, uh, who, who explodes? Is Gene that explodes in X Men number one? Explodes? Yeah, it's a it's a robot. Like Gambit kisses the robot and it explodes. Oh yeah and yeah it's yeah. It's, robot. It's yeah yeah yeah. It's the it's the robot.
0: Yeah. That's right. The Dick robot or whatever. <laughs> like yeah, that's
2: that stuff will blow your mind. Like <laughs> like there's no amount of preparation you can do. So it sticks with you, you know? And it was very easy to kind of go back to that. Um, when it came to trying to pin down the feeling that we wanted, you know, Chad, and I, Chad kind of came to this revelation. This was kind of the guiding force of what we did. That the, you know, Chris Claremont is on that book, on you know, X Men 94. <laughs> like, Uncanny X Men 94. He is on that book for 15 years from that point. And the first issue of X Men since the all new, all different X Men. Debut that is not written by Chris Claremont is January of 1992, and it's the Omega Red story. And so we went and looked at that issue. We like, I think we both read that issue multiple times. And you know, it's it's an issue I've written about for uh, for Comics Alliance before because I just love the phrase uh, Omega Red's mutant death factor. And we kind of looked at that, and Omega Red is not a villain that Chris Claremont would have created, is what Chad said, like. That is a villain created by people who grew up on those comics, and are now trying to figure out how to
0: take things a step further. And there's so many other things about that comic too. Like I don't, I, don't, I didn't mean to cut you off, Chris, but I mean, okay. you know, Omega Red clearly, I think, is a, and this doesn't. I don't want to diminish him as a character because I love him absolutely as a character, as you guys will see when you read X Men '92. But I, I think that. You know, Omega Red seems to me like a very visually-based character. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember, if you remember in the, the gatefold uh, X-Men number one, um, there's a bunch of, like, like sketches and back matter and, like, posters and stuff in the back of it. And one of those posters is, is a picture of, uh, of Omega Red. Uh, and it's, like, a real early design of Omega Red. And and it's very, very shimpy post-X-Men. It's, a, it's like, if you look, he's got these kind of, like, instead of the instead of the tentacles he's got these kind of like like reverse batman razor blades on his on his forearms. Uh, so he's clearly meant to be like an anti-wolverine who has like blades on his fo- outside forearms as opposed to like coming out of his you know the back of his hands. And he's very visually you know he's very he's very sorry, he's a very visual character. And so he, the 90s really are sort of where the visual I think takes over uh, in, in a lot of ways. And that's not to say that like that, that that the artists, you know, because there are plenty of artists who are visually, you know, exciting for that. I mean, John Byrne, you've got, you know, Mark Silvestri, you've got Paul Smith. You've got all these guys who are just really, really exciting, dynamic artists. But for me, Jim Lee really kind of breaks the mold and kind of sets the stage for what comes after, right? And so, you know, in that first Claremont issue where Jim Lee plots it and John Byrne scripts it, you've got the X-Men who fight Omega Red, who, like Chris says, has this mutant death factor, which is like... You know exactly the opposite of Wolverine. Yeah, it's and, it's, it's perfect. It's a yeah, perfect dumb yeah. idea. And and not only that, but instead of having the X Men, you know, play baseball which they've traditionally played, you've got the X Men in cutoff shorts, like <laughs> high top Nikes, playing basketball <laughs> against each other. You get Gambit and and Wolverine playing basketball against each other, making very very. Uh, timely references to stuff going on right then and there, like Nike shoe commercial references. You've got boom boxes. You've got Gambit on his motorcycle. You've got all this stuff that feels very very, like, artistically driven and very 90s. Um, and, and so that, like, it's just a complete aesthetic shift in that one issue, I think, in it, many ways. It almost, like, if that would have been, if that comic would have come out
2: today, like, if that comic would have come out in, in 2013 instead of, of the 90s, X-Men, Adjectiveless X-Men, would have been a five-issue series that got relaunched with right. a new number one, and right. this would yeah. be the new number one. Like, like That would be the new it, number one. You're right. It really is the start of this new era of X-Men in a lot of ways. You know, it's Gambit, Gambit in cut-off shorts, and then riding his motorcycle
0: with his, the boots from his costume on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, r- Rogan, Rogan, her, uh, her, you know, so, uh, Bob Mackie design dress or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: it's very, it's it's very visually drawn, and it's very, like, the thing that would have never occurred to someone who was so close to those books. Like, the, the, someone who invents the phrase mutant healing factor doesn't think about trying to figure out the opposite of that phrase, you know? <laughs> like... A kid who, who's growing up reading that book sees mutant healing factor and then, like, it just sets your mind working and eventually it comes out the other end as mutant death factor.
1: Because uh, death is the opposite of healing. So there you go. Makes perfect <laughs> sense, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, like uh, that
2: was, in a lot of ways, like, we went and looked at that arc. Like, we went and looked at that. We went and looked at, you know, Ghost Rider and, and the Brood. Under the in the caves under New Orleans, we went and looked at Belladonna. We went and looked at we went and looked at the video game because you know the uh, nineteen ninety two is a weird year for the X Men. Uh, January 92, 1st non Claremont issue. November was it no, September, October, November of ninety two. The animated series starts, and it's those right. characters. Yeah, you know, and, and it's the it's uh, the one thing that animated series did. No other show did this. Like Batman didn't do it. Uh, you know, Super Friends didn't do it, X-Men Evolution didn't do it, the Spider-Man series didn't do it. That series did not strip anything down for, for kids. That series was like, okay, here is exactly what is in the comics.
0: Uh, and that's... You know, I, with continuity. Right, yeah, exactly. It, it, it is the comics on screen in so many ways. Yeah, um, three years into that show, Rome talks about stealing Ms. Marvel's powers. Right, well, that's and that's the weird part about it, is it doesn't like... Okay, so, so the... And I, I think it's, you know, safe to say that we're going to talk about the animated series a little bit here, obviously. Um, you know, the first episode of the animated series, the characters are in their X-Men number one costumes. You know, it takes a little while to animate a cartoon. It takes a little while to write a cartoon. It takes a little while to make one of these things happen. And at that point in time when that cartoon premiered, the comic it was based on, those suits that, that, that they, those characters were wearing, was like less than two years old, which is insane. Because you know, yeah. Cyclops had been around for a long time, guys. He had had multiple costumes that he had worn longer than two years. They had no idea if that costume was going to last. He could have not been in that costume when that com- when that animated series launched. But but they knew. Like everybody just kind of could tell. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the cover of X Men,
2: it's the brown Wolverine suit. Right. Like he goes back to wearing the yeah, yellow he, and red
0: suit like three he, months before that he, show comes out. He gets he gets that 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 uh, the blue the the classic suit right. The, what do you want to call it? The, the tiger stripe suit or whatever. He gets that suit in X Men number uh, in number five. Yeah. The second part of that. The second part of that Omega Red story. Yeah, he gets it in 1992. It's back. Yeah. 1992
2: was the year. Like 1991 was the year that X Men sold six million copies.
0: Right. You know? Oh, another thing too. Another thing that I want to talk about, too, is I think we'd be remiss to, like, not talk about Rob Liefeld, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you—Luke, Do you ever, have you listened to the uh, Tell Me Something I Don't Know podcast?
1: No, uh, I haven't. The,
0: the Jim Rugg. It's like Jim—who else? It's Jim Rugg, uh, Ed Pisker and somebody else. I can't remember who the other person is on there. Um, but they, they had an episode where they talked to Rob Liefeld. And if you haven't listened to that, uh, you should go listen to it and your listeners should go listen to it. Because it is utterly fascinating to hear him talk about that time period. It's as fascinating as this airplane is flying over right now. But, no, it, it, uh, it, it's amazing where he talks about just the toys and how, okay, so so the X-Men, right? They, they kind of blow up in the, in the, I mean, X-Men are obviously super popular before 1992. But I don't even know the dates on this. But so there's, there's Toy Biz action figures come out, like the first wave of Toy Biz action figures. It had been years since we had had like toys. So like, there's Secret Wars action figures, right? And those happened in what like the mid '80s. Yeah. And then, then like, fast forward to like 1991, maybe, when Toy Biz toys came out, and they were like Bendys and all kinds of other weird little toys before then. But, 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 so the X Men get this toy line from Toy Biz, and like, wave one of that toy line is the X Factor. Uh, the white and blue X-Factor suit with Cyclops. It's the black Storm suit with a lightning bolt across the chest. It's Nightcrawler in his classic suit. It's Wolverine in his brown suit. It's Archangel. Uh, It's Magneto, Juggernaut, and it's Colossus, right? Like, I think that's the first wave. Am I leaving anybody out, Chris? I don't know. But it's like these classic versions of the X-Men, right? And then in 1992, they do Wave 2 of that toy line. You know what Wave 2 is? Wave 2 is X-Force. <laughs> they, they skip 30 years of, of, of history of the X-Men because they recognize immediately that, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is big. And Rob Liefeld talks about being at San Diego Comic-Con that year, and Avi Arad came up to him and was like, we outsold G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Liefeld talks about, yeah, that's when I knew I needed to create my own characters. <laughs>
1: I think I've got, uh, like, two of the figures from the later lines, because I've gotten Adam X the Extreme, and then, uh, Eric the Red. And I mean, they're, well, those were, like, some of the first action-y figure, action figures that I've actually gotten, and I got those earlier this year. Uh-huh. Because I had a very sad childhood where I had Legos instead.
2: I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you, Luke. Mm-hmm. X Men '92 is based more on the that wave of X Men action figures that were out in 1992 because that line starts <laughs> in 1991. '92 is is when you have uh, Gambit with Power Kick action. Yep. Magneto. Uh, uh, Mister Sinister is in that wave. The Wolverine with the the, the tiger claws. Yep. Was in that wave. Um, I think it was 93 where uh, Spy Wolverine came out, which was my favorite toy when I was a kid. Like, you know, Bishop's in 93. Like, if you want to know what our comic is based on, it's those figures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, 1992, cartoon. You know, X-Men number one sold six million copies in 91. And sales didn't drop that much <laughs> as the book went on. Yeah, so you yeah. got the most popular period, like as far as like printing wise, and, and you know maybe it was only maybe it was only fifty thousand people reading it, buying twenty copies each. Uh, as some people have posited, but you know you had the, the huge amounts of, of comics being sold. Cartoon, arcade game, the arcade games ninety two, the toys are ninety two. Like that's that's all stuff that Chad and I kind of grew up with with loving. Book, you book know. bags, lunch boxes. Yeah, and these are X Men. Not to give too much away on the plot, but like it is a pretty big plot point that these in in Westchester, in the world where they live, these are X-Men that are on lunchboxes and book bags. When Wolverine goes to the mall, people go, "Hey, you're Wolverine, right?"
1: So, can you give a bit more detail on where the comic takes place, as far as Battle World?
0: Like, like you want like longitude and <laughs> <in> latitude? The, <laughs> it's in the east. <laughs>
2: it's in the east somewhere. It's about the size of a uh, about the size of South Carolina. It's, it's 700 miles west of uh, doomstadt I think that's the very first line of the book. Yeah, I, I, I looked at that map. I think you have that wrong. I think I probably have it wrong, too, but who cares?
1: The uh, map I is mean, confusing.
2: It, it's no, but the I mean, smallest of the X-Men's uh, districts. Uh, because yeah, the, it, all the X-Men stuff is kind of looped together on one little area. Yeah. It, it actually is kind of a key point that it's... You know, surrounded by stuff like, uh, let's see, wh- wh- where is it here on this map? what? Let's see. Uh, it's surrounded by, uh, you know, the 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 Morrison quietly X Men. It's you know, yeah. it's got the 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 Days of Future Past uh, world is like. It's not. It doesn't border that one, but it's right near it. Yeah. Uh, There's another small one near it too. What's that other small one? It's like, is that the E for, East for Extinction one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like right, like it is next door to the Age of Apocalypse. Right. Which For I that think
0: is that area, that area is huge. Yeah, that's a big that's a big place. So but yeah, yeah, you know, geographically it's very small. It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's probably like like Chris and I, have, no kidding, been referring to it as about the size of South Carolina.
1: So does that mean oh. that this version of Westchester has a whole bunch of like gas station barbecue spots in it, or <laughs> no, man? It's got it's, all, all it has is like blockbuster videos. <laughs> Water and, parks, uh, Pizza
2: Huts, and water parks, <laughs> 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 and Walmart's. We actually had a line in there about Pizza Hut, and I was like, "Yeah, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta change, we to change that." People, people get it. <laughs> uh, I will say the biggest feature in our Westchester is a mall. So yeah, somebody you know,
0: somebody asked a question online today, um, about the geography. Like, what what else is in Westchester except you know besides the expansion? Oh, It took like everything. It's pretty them. much the, ex- the, ex- <laughs> the expansion <laughs> at a <them> mall.
2: <laughs> Those are our two locations.
0: Yeah, it's true. It all,
2: it's and everything kind of, of revolves around them.
0: It's kind of true.
1: So uh, one of the things that you've mentioned in your uh, Ask Chris and various other articles on Comics Alliance uh, is like you love how Batman 66 has been introducing characters who weren't in Batman 66 but sort of creating them in the universe. Like, I know uh, the upcoming solicits have mentioned that they're putting in a Poison Ivy character who seems to be tied into Louis the Lilac. Did oh, uh, you...
2: that's a really good idea. Yeah. That's really exciting.
1: Did you get a uh, chance... Did you guys get any chance to do that sort of thing with the X-Men?
2: Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, like, the <laughs> kind of the biggest thing that we did is... Uh, the cover's out for it now, so I think we can talk about it, but the the the... I guess issues what five and six, which are going to be in the third print edition. Those kind of focus on X Force ninety two, which is a it, it's our version of X Force.
0: Chad, you you've got a good description of them. Uh, yeah, it's all the characters have really cool uh like mutant powers, but decide to use guns and knives instead. Like Domino. Yeah. Right. You know Domino's in there. Deadpool's in there. You
2: know Bishop, Cable, Archangel, Psylocke, and you know those are characters that you know that team never existed in the comics. In that form. You know, X-Force was never those characters. But they were the characters that we wanted to write.
0: They were the characters that we thought would be the most fun. Well, and, Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people have pointed this out online, too. I mean, that that image just went live like yesterday or the day before. But it's one of those things where you look at that team and you're like, oh, yeah, of course that should have been, like, the X-Force team of the time. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, X-Force number one precedes... I think it precedes X-Men, or Agilus X-Men number one, by, like, a couple of months. But... At the same time, like, you know, Archangel is <laughs> Archangel is the Wolverine of X-Factor. You know what I mean? And Cyclops, I mean, Psylocke, sorry, you know, gets gets 90s pretty quick, uh, you know, when, when Jim Lee comes on the book, which becomes like the Lady Mandarin, and they put her put her mind in the body of, uh, you know, the assassin. And then... Her name, name know, is Quanon. You showed sure, her oh, some respect. Quanon. I, I, you know. Spoilers. There was, uh, and, and you know, and obviously Bishop too. You know, Bishop is the character that, you know, he 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 shows up what in that second issue of Uncanny X Men, the, the the John Byrne, uh, Wills uh Uncanny, and a, as characters go, he's he's like a direct response to Cable and all those guys in so many ways. He's 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 the badass of the uh, of the Gold Team. You know, it's just natural to sort of want to put those guys together. I I thought. So when we had the opportunity to sort of come up with our own version of X Force. I mean, the whole reason that you want to read these Secret Wars books is, you know, they should seem a little familiar, but give you a lot of surprises too, right? So that that's a big one I thought would be kind of fun is if you you know you think you know X Wars, but you know you don't know this X Wars. Yeah,
2: yeah. And the other one is obviously the the I mean, obviously for us, but the the villain of the piece uh, is not in the very first interview we did, which I think was with Marvel.com. It's a book about the '90s X Men
0: fighting a threat. That is not made for the '90s X-Men. It sort of bookends that period, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah. You know, yeah, because because uh, because the character that we we use, our, our our main villain, is firmly in one part, you know, of the X-Men's past, but you know, clearly in the X-Men's future at the same time. It's a very interesting, uh, very interesting character. I think we've we've. I'm I'm really proud of our villain of this piece. Yeah, and and the way that it, you know.
2: The way that it kind of works, the reason we did that was because for these X Men, they have already beaten all the '90s villains. Like this, this story starts the you know the day after the '90s, right? <laughs> like <laughs> the day after the '90s, <laughs> which is weird because it's you know it, like it it is very much a celebration of that era. But right. like if you remember stuff that happened in the '90s to the X Men, that happened, yeah, but it exactly. already happened. Exactly. Like, every major X-Men event just happened one right after the other, and these are X-Men who, you know, they just finished beating Magneto. They just finished beating the Phalanx. They just finished beating
0: Apocalypse. Like, they they just got back from from beating up Mr. Sinister. So so many Uh, people have asked us, like, oh, are they going to fight the Acolytes? Or are they going to fight Exodus? Are they going to fight, you know, Strife? Are they going to fight these guys? And it's like, well, no, because you've already seen these guys fight those guys. Like, I could go get you a comic out of a dollar box right now, where these guys fight the acolytes, like somebody I mean, else did that. They probably did it better. I mean, than they're we in did. there. <laughs> yeah, F- Fabian Cortez and Strife were in there. But but that's the thing look. is like, <laughs> I don't I didn't you know I don't think we wanted to do a book where where the where, where these X Men just kind of continue to do the same thing that everybody always saw them do. You know what I mean? Like we've seen them do those things. Let's see them do something different. Let's see them come up against something that maybe we're we're unprepared or maybe they're unprepared for. Yeah. So maybe it's weird because this is not you know. It has ended up
2: being a book, and I was talking to Chad about this yesterday. I don't think this is the book people think it's going to be. Uh, I don't think this is the book people are expecting it to be. I think, based on what I think people are expecting, that they're going to like it. Uh, you know, they're they're going to recognize the characters. They're going to recognize all the stuff that exists in this book. But it is not it is not what I think people expect it to be. Uh, and, and I I think that's going to be kind of the fun of it. You know.
1: So, it's going to be X-Men 92 going up against Sublime, right?
2: <laughs> John Sublime?
1: The uh, sentient uh, mutant virus?
2: Yeah, the sentient virus? You know, you know th- that might be what we do next.
1: <laughs> yeah. X-Men 92 2?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be X-Men 93. It's just
0: going to be X-Men 92 Part 2. X-Men 92 with a Roman numeral 2. X-Men X- 92 colon 93. Just keep adding them. X-Men 2 X-Men 292.
1: <laughs> With a vengeance. Awesome. Well, uh, I am definitely excited for the book. Uh, we did have a few listener questions, so uh, if you would like to send in a listener question, all you need to do is do an article series for Comics Alliance where you review every episode of <sighs> X-Men 92, and then you make a Twitter account, or you send an email to MultiversalQ on Twitter or MultiversalQ at gmail.com. And on the Twitter, uh, guy one asks, Will there be an arc featuring Spiral and Longshot? Uh,
2: Spiral was so close to being in there. Spiral was in yeah. the original pitch. Uh, yeah. But it's one of the things that
0: unfortunately got revised out. No, I, I am not a Longshot guy, but I know Chad is. I, I do like Longshot, and... um. He kind of makes it in there, but, um, you know, for, for me, both of those characters, Spiral and Longshot, are so firmly set in the 80s, specifically Longshot, uh, that that they didn't feel quite right for 92. So, to answer the question, uh, you know, Longshot will be in there, will he be fighting Spiral? Probably not.
1: Yeah, that was the only question that I had come in, because we're right. a small Well, that jacket. was easy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Chad, Great. do you have any questions about the... Uh... <laughs> What's been your favorite part about working with me, Chris?
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't think you want me to answer that, John. <laughs> I think I think my favorite part about working with you was when you uh, texted me when I was a thousand miles away to tell me that you had managed to work in a quote from not GoldenEye, but the theme from GoldenEye. Into <laughs> uh, this song. Or into this, uh, this comic. Into this
0: comic. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. I mean, look, it's pretty great. I'm not going to lie. Luke, what are you looking most forward to about X-Men I
1: Uh Well, so far, I've really liked all the work that you guys have done together in the past, like Awesome Hospital, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how you guys approach the X-Men and then imagining this in the X-Men animated series' voices.
0: Yeah, that's pretty fun to, uh, to imagine those voices. I mean,
2: if you think we have not... Called each other on the phone and said, "Agnes, let me help you. Open your mind." Like that is definitely part of the process.
1: Can you do a good animated Wolverine impression? Can I do? Can I do a good Wolverine yeah. Uh, impression? Yeah.
0: I guess so. Yeah. Can you do a good Wolverine impression?
1: You left him behind, Soldier Boy. That's right. That's
0: that's a good one. That's good. I go where I, I want to go.
1: Hey Scott, I made you a convertible. Tell Cyclops I made him a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. I, you
0: know, I've, I've had some, I've had some practice. Yeah. Tell Cyclops I made him a convertible. And then there's like my favorite part, and Chris and I go round and round about this, but, and I've never seen what is it, X-Men Evolution? hmm Like, I, I've never seen many episodes, but I think I saw the first, or first, I saw one episode, and then the episode I saw, Wolverine goes into a bar, or goes yes. into, you know, and do, do you know about this? Yes. Wolverine goes into the bar, and the bar keeps like, what can I get you? And he's like, water, cold. <laughs> Obviously, you know. Yeah. Because Wolverine loves his water.
1: Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't call it Wooter, even though he's Canadian.
0: That w- Wooter, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's a health nut, that Wolverine. My favorite voice to do is Cyclops. Listen, Mr. Professor. Yeah, he's a fun one.
1: Can you do a good gene? Gene! I don't know if that was good. Or it, was, it was more of a, a concern, but not the she's died and he's yeah. holding her body. <laughs> Pained, uh gene can you can you do a good jubilee does a mo' baby eat chili fries <laughs> oh my god
0: that was that was good my my you know the thing that i think I've, i'm most intrigued by is 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 how and again i i'm a big jubilee fan but i i don't think i've ever really talked to people about jubilee before um because you know when she kind of left the x-men I didn't really follow her over to, like, Generation X. Now, since then, I've read Generation X and love it. And, again, any, anybody who's looking forward to Generation X uh, references in X-Men 92 will probably be pretty happy. But, like, Jubilee's, like, super popular. People are really excited about her in this I mean, book. Did you not know that? No, I, I – I, look, it, it did take me by surprise a little bit uh, at the yeah. very beginning. I love Jubilee. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do, too. I do, too. But, I, you know, Chris, we've known each other for – 10 years now 15 years now like it's been a long time we've never years. talked we've never talked about Jubilee before until we started writing this book together that's probably true that's probably true yeah. you know and so I guess that's the thing is like I just didn't realize that that there was that much affinity for Jubilee which is great because I think people who like Jubilee are going to like the comic on an awful lot
1: do you need to like print up shirts that say Jubilee has a posse
0: <laughs> I think we could uh, w- would you buy one because I would totally do
1: that I might definitely do that, but it would need to be either bright pink or bright yellow. Oh yeah, naturally.
0: It would be bright yellow with bright pink writing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and every shirt we come with a pair of sunglasses.
1: No, it would have that sort of a uh, late eighties, nineties style like yearbook design to it, so she's sort of faded on the shirt already. Right, right. But otherwise it's Andre the Giant has a posse design. <laughs> I think I need to make a call into uh Dylan Todd. Do it. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys for uh, sitting down and doing the interview with me. I'm sorry that Devin has been busily punching birds in the uh, aviatorium. Uh, is there anything else that you guys would like to plug?
0: No, primarily X-Men 92, I think, is, is our main focus right now.
2: I, I should have another uh, the second issue, the long-awaited second issue of Skater X, uh, uh, should be coming out pretty soon.
1: With Jill Hunter?
2: With Joe Hunter and with uh, Josh Crock doing Letters. And, and obviously you can find me writing at, uh, at Comics Alliance, um, where I have recently come to love the Transformers. And I've been using words
0: like alt mode. Oh, Chris. And Cybertron. Oh, and man, you had. You used one today in your uh, Tom Scioli interview that, like, my jaw dropped. What was it? I can't remember what it was. I was like, he didn't. He like he like. I never thought that's anything that I would ever hear Chris say. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it was. I'll, I'll I mean, look, on. I
2: have like that 15-year history of, of me and Chad being friends is is me uh, talking about how terrible the Transformers are and how dumb Chad is for even
0: liking them. That is that is 100% true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now now I've had to uh to eat those words. You know, man, I really enjoyed the Tom Scioli, uh two-parter you did though that that's been really fun oh yeah oh thank you
1: it makes me want to catch up on it
0: tom is a very uh easy guy
2: to talk to you know he he talks like he makes comics it's just one idea after another
0: it's right great. no i love talking to that guy he, here's another thing too i think it's important to say about x-men 92 real quick because that's where we're here right but no i think the other thing is like um i don't oh, know chad, you, chad <laughs> was it when i said there was a combiner? <laughs> yes! Yes, you said a combiner. <laughs> How did you know? That's hilarious. Yeah, you said combiner. Like, you're going through, like, this has got, you know, that page has a, uh, you know, it's got the, it's got the flag on it. It's got a Cthulhu monster. It's got a combiner. And I was like, combiner? Man, you really typed that? The thing that I was going to say earlier, I kind of lost my train of thought, man. I'm thinking about combiners now. Um, the thing that I was going to say is that I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be too... Or we're, it's going to be easy to see. I think the influence of things like Tom Sioli's Transformers versus GI Joe and uh, Michelle Feef's, uh, you know, Copra and things like that in in our X Men book, because I think that kind of wild, unbridled sort of storytelling really appeals to both of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's I think that's in there as well.
1: Did you read? Sp- oh, did you read uh, Ultimate Comics Ultimate series that uh, Fife did?
0: It, it's, it's again, it's it's on the Marvel Digital app, and I have read the first issue, but I haven't read anything else beyond that.
1: It is interesting and enjoyable comics. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I think that but, guy's I mean, brilliant. I mean, one thing I will say,
2: we do kind of keep waiting for our editors to tell us we can't do something. And uh, Jordan has not done that yet. Like, the only thing he has said was, we sent in a, a plot a couple weeks ago for was that number five?
0: Yeah,
2: uh, we sent in the plot for number five a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Wow, this is kind of gory." <laughs> uh, which I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but there is a man walking around with a severed head. So <laughs> we keep trying to to put in as much as we can. You know, like you know, forty pages for four ninety nine is not a bad deal, but if it's no, forty a- pages. That, that are also that also feel like you know there's a bunch of stuff going on and it's a bunch of stuff that you didn't expect to happen. Uh, then that's you know I feel like that's a value you know, value for your money. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the idea.
1: Now I do have uh, one more question before we finally wrap up because here on Multiversal Q we have what we like to call the trials of the multiverse, which is very similar to every story ever and the word heavyweight champion. Which I got my list into you today.
2: Okay, well, I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to involve myself in this wholly original concept.
1: Yes. <laughs> in the grand tradition Look, of the we past show. We stole it
2: too. I'm not yes. gonna
1: lie. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what we like to do is rank the different universes. So, because you two are really experts on X Men and X Men '92 and. I'd say the animated series as well. Would you like to place the universe that it is on on the list of trials of the multiverse?
0: Nine
1: two one three one. Yes.
0: Universe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> about Earth nine two one three one? Huh, where, uh, like, what? Where, where would it? Like, where can it go? Like, what? What's a? What's at the top of the list? I guess.
1: Uh, currently, the top of our list is. Shazam ends the uh, the universe of Shazam, the Monster Society of Evil,
0: the 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 Jeff Smith one.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, which uh, right under that is the original Agents of Atlas universe. Under that is uh, Thunderworld. We just got done with our Shazam special, and both of those ranked really high. And uh-huh. at the bottom of the list is the Age of Borgin Le Fay, which was the universe where Wolverine and Sue Storm traveled to. After killing Hank Pym in Age of Ultron. Uh huh. Oh, was, I thought
2: you meant that was the George Perez, uh, George Perez, uh, like Kirk, Heroes Reborn, uh, yeah, Avengers number two, of yeah,
0: because I, I think I like that story of Wim more than anyone else does. No, um, I like that story a lot too. So, wait, so, wait, so you said the Agents of Atlas universe. Or are you talking about the, the what if issue?
1: Uh, what if the Avengers formed in the 1950s?
0: Right, yeah, okay, so that's, that's what you're talking about. Um, yep. If it's just the animated series,
2: uh, which look, I am a fan of the animated series. Uh, I think that is clear.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, I would say that it is probably not as good as Thunderworld. Yeah, because uh, we do not have Uncle Dudley on that uh, on that cartoon
1: with laser blasters.
2: Let's see. Uh, I mean, let's see. Oh, but I do think I, I definitely think it is better than the the uh, nail and another nail universe, which is the one you have on the list right under that. So,
0: do you have any of those uh, those Mark Miller Earths from uh, from River Run, the Swamp Thing story? Uh,
1: Some no, of the we Anil don't. Abbey
0: Earth? Yeah, yeah.
1: We have um, not gotten the, to those yet. That's The best Mark Miller's ever been.
0: Yeah, I think I think the I think the, the X Men ninety two. I think the X-Men 92, or the X-Men uh, Animated Series universe, rather, probably does does beat out the, the Allen Davis. Yeah, because 92. for the
2: record, X-Men 92 is not the X-Men ni- Animated Series universe. Yes. Right, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I think people will see that pretty quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I will uh, put that in the new Position 6 between Fawcett City from Jeff Parker's Convergence and, uh, and Doc Chaners. Yes, and uh, Justice League, The Nail, and Another Nail.
2: Which are, are, those are books I'm a big fan of, too, so.
1: Yeah, I saw that you ranked them highly on every story ever.
0: Yeah, they're, they're,
1: they're a hoot. Mm-hmm.
0: No, they're great. They've The got first, one, one, the the first one, one, the first one's really good. The second one's,
2: you know, okay. Well, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, I, is it, Another Nail is the one that has the Scott and Barda stuff, which I, I really
0: like that. That yeah. is good stuff. That is very good, yeah.
1: But that could have easily been put into the first story. But yeah, the second one is more of a Justice League story, and all you need is a less experienced Superman to fit into that role, and an angry Green Arrow. But yeah, no, that is definitely a good position. Thank you again for being on the podcast. You can find Multiversal Q on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and a few other sites. Uh, Join us next week when we have our next scheduled issue where we are going to be covering what if Dr. Doom was the Sorcerer Supreme. See you then. Hey listeners, this is Luke Hare from Multiversal Q. Uh, Adding this addendum on, Devin was not on this episode. He had been missing for most of Tuesday as far as I knew. He was out of communication. And so we ended up recording the episode without him, hoping that he would turn up. It turned out that actually Tuesday morning, shortly after we had talked and finalized plans for the podcast, he got into a car accident. He is doing fine as far as he doesn't have any major injuries, but he is definitely going to be in pain for the next month or two at least. But he is no longer in the hospital, and he is recovering, so that's why he was not on the podcast we do hope to have him back soon, and we do hope to be back to our regular schedule as soon as possible, which may be uh, having our next episode up as regularly planned. Thank you for listening, and thank you for the support.